Good morning, WA. My name's Sean Kelly, and this is the World Football Programme. I will be with you for the next two hours. Thanks to Frank and Jerry for another wonderful Celtic ramblings. Always good to see the uh, presence of Bob Couture in the studio. Uh, terrific bloke, Bob. And uh, he was um, involved in football for a long time. So, yeah, great uh, bloke to see here. Yeah, and we won't mention his uh, comment about the Perth glory, but uh, he was... No. He was supportive enough. Absolutely. Morning, listeners. It's Huey here. How are you going? Yes, good morning, Huey. How are you? I was going to introduce you, but like the best, you always get in first. That's so. it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's good of you. Um, yeah, wonderful show today. We're going to start off with a former dual Paralympian. Not satisfied being Paralympian once. He was a Paralympian twice in two different uh, sports. So, and good lady in Brad Scott. And we'll talk to him about what he's doing down there in the southwest, doing some wonderful work with the inclusion community. And um, re- just recently with reconciliation. So we'll be talking to Brad about that. Then we're going to talk to Phil Kelly, who is the chair of the State League Standing Committee. And their terms are up. The nominations were in, I think, on, closed on Friday. So be some elections happening and we'll see what happens in that space. But we'll talk to him about his two-year term. excuse me and then we've got Derek Pollock who is our um, expert in all things EPL and Champions League and we'll talk to him about the Champions League final because I know he won't want to and (laughs) we'll uh, we'll talk about the EPL and the ins and outs there and what's going to happen for next year because there's lots of things happening over there and then we're going to finish out with Luke Pavlos who is the president of Macedonia yes uh, not some the country, the no, club. No, no. Some of you might know them as the Lions. Yeah, well, those of us who don't want to know them as Lions, I think Macedonia has been a, a massive yes. uh, thing for them. And we'll talk to him about what effect that's had on the club, both on and off the field, because yeah. the, there's something different about them this year. And we'll talk to Luke about that. Oh, absolutely, we will. <laughs> There's All a right. little teaser for you. <laughs> in, in news, um, AFC qualifications, second round, Group B Australia sitting on top, 3-0 win over Kuwait, who are second with 10 points. Yep, yep. Now, I, um, I've done a bit of homework on that one, so of the whole AFC uh, thing there, but um, it's a good thing VAR's not included there because uh, that penalty was... There was a penalty here. Was, come on. No, referee called. Yeah, that's it, mate. That's done. But don't, don't, that, no, don't you come in here with your, your toxic views. But that being views. said, that handball in the second half, well... What handball? No, against them. Oh, that yeah, one, yeah. That yeah, was the Kuwait handball. I mean, yeah. it, again... There's the, the the fun part with people who want to have a go at VAR. We, as Australians, in our qualification, have got the best of both worlds there. We got a dodgy penalty, but we missed out on what was clearly a handball. Hmm. So, is VAR working or is VAR not working? I don't know. I think uh, I spoke to Kenny Lowe a couple of years ago about that, and I still <laughs> think Kenny had the best viewpoint on it. Yep. All it does, because it's not finite, it's not like the... the the ball line technology where it crosses the line it's out yep it was um taking the decision away from one flawed human being and giving it to another flawed human being to make a decision with 70 different camera views that's right the, yeah. the laws of the game say in the opinion of the referee <laughs> well if the in the opinion of the referee on the field of play goes oh not sure then we have to get the opinion of the referee who gets multiple replays at multiple speeds and then his opinion is then transformed and, and imposed upon the game. So, yeah, uh, and still, the opinion of the and they still referee. don't get it right. There's yeah. lots of different interpretations. Yep. You know, in what passage of play was it? I remember there was uh, one scrubbed out for the glory a couple of seasons oh, back yeah. where they went back about 30 seconds yes. and yeah, went, there was a handball there. Yeah, and then you get others where there is a, a, 
something happens in the passenger plane, you know, no, don't worry about that. That was, that was too far away. So, so with, yeah. that, uh, with that in mind, if we uh, talk about the, the AAC Championship. I hate uh, VAR, World by Cup the qualifiers. Australia now only needs uh, three more points to absolutely guarantee top spot, and that will be either our next game against uh, Chinese Taipei, which should be uh, a cricket score, or the, uh, the game against Nepal. Uh, so we're almost certain. Well, we're certain to finish in the top two, guaranteed. We're um, yeah, basically guaranteed to finish top uh, of the group. Uh, that being said, um, I, I'd like to think that the hub situation, particularly where it is, will give us a, a huge advantage over a lot of the other countries in the world qualifying because we're actually in that area so we're, we're, we're adjusting to the to the climate we're adjusting the conditions yeah uh, but know, 39 degree heat in uh, you know at, at eight but eight having nine, said that we're, all, we're also looking being in in all sorts of strife over the hub with the afc championships because i believe yes sydney yeah. manchester uh sorry manchester man uh, uh, melbourne city, melbourne sydney city and, brisbane have, and brisbane all uh, pulling out have cited covid co- uh, concerns and yeah. are withdrawing from the uh, the asian champions league yeah i don't think that's going to be a good thing for australia no no well what's likely to happen is that the the um the afc are going to have uh, convene a convener meeting and you can almost guarantee it's going to be similar to what happened with the perth glory that they will um rule that these three clubs will be in the uh, Asian Champions League or they will be fined heavily and there will be significant sanctions imposed against them. Yeah, but, but against Football Australia as well, not just the clubs, yeah, oh, but the, Football the whole, Australia. The whole, the, whole, yeah, yeah. the whole lot, yeah. yeah. So uh, the, the FA, as it's now known, will be sanctioned. The clubs will be sanctioned um, even heavier. Yeah. Uh, and I, I really can't see this happening. No. That being said, if we get back to the World Cup qualifiers, North Korea... Mm-hmm. have decided to pull out of the whole qualification process, which throws uh, Group H into absolute turmoil because they're well, not they're really though, five games. Because I was reading the um, the North Korean equivalent of the Times and, <laughs> and they were saying that they were guaranteed to win the, the whole competition. Well, they did twice. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're an eight-time World Cup winner, aren't they? Absolutely, they are, yeah. So, you know, the, within North Korea, they're very happy with all of that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, glory news. Um, obviously, we, we lost in a tight game against Brisbane. The yeah. boys looked a bit tired. I think flying from here to New Zealand to Brisbane is not the best lead up. Not Got ideal. the Jets tonight, so in Newcastle. Yeah, so unfortunately, that result uh, has put paid to finals prospects. But, but um, finishing the top eight, you're in the automatic qualifiers for the FA, FFA Cup. That's correct. So, you know, there's, there's a benefit to winning the game tonight. It's not a dead rubber. And a couple of um, important things. One was the signing of Sarah Carroll for next year. Yeah, huge. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Huge. massive. And Brandon Wilson's getting some interest from Portsmouth and a few other clubs over in England. <laughs> oh, poor bugger. Oh, he's a good player. <laughs> no, he's just no, been on the outer a couple of times. Portsmouth, turn it up. I know a few uh, <coughs> Portsmouth fans and uh, they, are, they are absolutely mental. But um, you would have thought a player of Brandon's ability would be looking championship at, at, at minimum. Yeah, but uh, really, someone Brandon's but he's just looking to play every week at the moment, oh, and I think you know yes, he's, yes, he's had a rough deal both um, with Perth. He he fell out of favour and, and left. Then he went to New Zealand, yep. didn't really launch it there, and now he's back here and still on the outer. So, good luck to the young lad. I think oh, yeah. he he's worthy of a start, and I think he should be getting something. Yep. Oh, without a doubt. And um, in other news. If anyone's a fan of football and you've got a you're at a loose end today or tomorrow, get yourself down to Claremont Oval. 
there is the three-in-one collector's market. That's right. And there'll be a stall there by the uh, Football Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Lots and lots of people in, involved in that, including Penny. Yep. Jacob Aldenkamp um, and a few others be down there. So, yeah, get, get yourself down to the stall. Yep, that um, was the uh, the postponed one from April. Uh, <coughs> so, yeah. Yeah, the postponed post- post- through COVID. And, uh, if you mention uh, the World Football Programme, you will not get 10% off any merchandise. No, <laughs> no, absolutely. <laughs> no, free COVID check for everyone. Um, right, exactly. No, look, get yourself down there, support, support the market and obviously support the uh, football uh, WA Football Hall of Fame so uh, yeah get yourself yeah, down have there a chat for the to weekend the, to the crew so if you've got some memorabilia sitting in the shed just gathering some dust I'm sure yeah. they'll be interested in seeing what it is and when we get the uh, the home of football there'll be a museum there and your oh, memorabilia oh we held one at the club last year or the year before and I, and I picked up a, a Stuart Pierce book for about three bucks well worth it good read bloody psycho psycho uh, what a, what a champ the man yeah <laughs> no look um it's a great place to go. Lots yep. of things there on, on display. Um, they've got some displays from the Hall of Fame, but they've also got lots of memorabilia for sale. Exactly. So if you yes. get yourself down there and uh, support the... You might even find my golden whistle down there. Oh, wait, I didn't get one. <laughs> <laughs> you know why, you know why here? Oh, we're not going down that path You have again. to earn them. Oh, yeah, well, <laughs> there's that. All right, we're going to go to a break. We'll be back after that with Brad Scott. West Coast Futsal accommodates for players of all skill levels and ages. With four great locations around Perth, we have a time and a venue to suit anyone's busy week. From social men's, women's or mixed games to A-grade competition, we've got you covered. Games are played night and day, indoor and outdoor, all year round. So grab five mates and come down for a game today. The World Football Programme is a community programme run by volunteers. Just like our host station, Radio Fremantle, applies for government grants and sponsorships from year to year to keep us on air. Your support by way of station membership or donation is greatly valued. Contact Radio Fremantle weekdays 94942100 for information on how to become a member or to donate to the station. Thanks for your support. Radio Fremantle 107.9 FM. All right, we're talking about um, Reconciliation Week before the show started and lots of good things going on around the state. And one of the best things happening down there in the southwest was uh, this young man by the name of Brad Scott, dual Paralympian. Good morning, Brad. How are you? Good morning. Yeah, great. Thank you. Um, No, it's beautiful weather down here in the southwest at the moment too, so having an amazing start for the day. Well, you know, every day is an amazing start today. I'm at that age where if I wake up, I'm going, yay. <laughs> um, yeah, any day above ground is a good day. Um, dual Paralympian, that's that's a massive achievement, mate. Two two different sports, um, you know, athletics and football. Um, more power to you, mate. Uh, yeah, thank you. Yes, it, I'm a pretty fortunate person, you know. Like, being wrong, I had to work for it, but um, there was a lot of things that sort of, 
were put in my way that I sort of had the opportunity to take up and, and I was thankful that I had the support around me to sort of not only encourage me but to assist me through that process. So, look, there's a lot of people out there who have much better talent um, than myself, but I guess, yeah, I was just willing to do the hard work and, and again, had those opportunities. So hopefully we can create more opportunities for anyone, um, you know, down the track. And I guess that's part of what we're doing with uh, the inclusion in, in sport with, for people with disabilities, but obviously now as my role as a Sherry Yarn Ambassador for the Australian Institute of Sport. Yeah, I think it's look. It's interesting because you know people talk about the reconciliation process and reconciliation week, but really your whole lifetime is a reconciliation process um, for yourself. You know, you had to reconcile that you you were handed CP, and it can either be a, an anchor or it can be liberating. And for you, you've chosen to to take the winner's attitude and go. You know, any, anything I do, win, lose, or draw, I'm a winner. Yeah, I guess it wasn't always that way. I um, when I was a kid, the thing I hated about myself more than anything else was my disability. Um, I, I I was getting teased because of it, and I remember I used to go to sleep wishing that I'd wake up the next day without having CP, and I seen it as really um, like it was like a curse, you know. And and then it was only through um, sport was I able to see that this is actually probably the greatest opportunity I've been handed is being born with a disability and. And, uh, yeah, and then I started to see my CP as a strength. And, and you're right, I had to look at the world through a different lens. I, um, I had to try to find ways to, to just be able to do the same thing as everyone else. I had to find new, new pathways to do that because what everyone else was doing wasn't suitable for myself. So, um, yeah, it just became one of those things where I just had to make sure that I was constantly finding new pathways and creating new opportunities for myself as well. Yeah, and I think the other thing is it's it's a, a matter of attitude. You know, I was involved in um, some camps when I was a kid with disabled scouts and um, we, you know, we'd play things like cricket and you, a guy would with, with one leg would take a, a diving catch. You'd go to pick him up and you'd go, no, no, I'm going to... And he'd bounce up on his own. He didn't want the assistance. And it's more about not knowing um, that you're disabled or, or choosing not to use that as an excuse not to do things. Yeah, no, uh, and you're spot on there, yes. Look, it depends on the individual as well. And, and one thing um, I've always I've, I've learned through this process too is I've been a very strong-willed person. I haven't really wanted too much help, but I've been willing out to ask for help when I when that moment arises. But um, too many times that we see in the community that people will want to assist someone with a disability and just go out there and try to help them out, but without asking them and, and yeah. sort of like whether it's someone pushing someone in a chair or whatever it might be, the, the, the um, issue that we've come across is that people are like, no, I don't want you to push me in the chair, so can you please stop doing that? But um, but they're obviously doing it with the right intention. You know, They want to bridge that gap. They want to support more people, but it just comes back to communication. And, and I guess, again, we, we just spoke about, we just spoke about um, National Reconciliation Week, and that's what that's about too. It's about having that conversation, you know, and like learning, learning from each other's perspectives and let's come together to find out a way how we can all coexist and reach our own goals. And it's about acknowledgement. I mean, re the term reconciliation, uh, if you use it in a bookkeeping te term, is to balance the books. So if you have that same process around your life and the world that you live in, then, you know, it's balancing the book. Um, absolute fact, you have CP. And, you know, you, you don't use that as an excuse. You accept that you have it and that other people have to accept that you have it and that comes with some limitations and uh, not many but you know you you do what you can we we have to acknowledge that we are different and it doesn't matter whether that's race color creed um 
and accept the differences and the history of those differences. You know, being half Irish and half English, I'm I'm always trying to reconcile myself because one half of me oppressed the other half for 900 years. So, you know, it's, yeah. a, it's an interesting journey. <laughs> yeah, and, and you are right. Like, I guess there, there are, we all come in different shapes, sizes, backgrounds, whatever it is. But I think, as I said earlier, it's about having that conversation and really being able to, like you said, be able to reconcile. Um, but I, I think what it, it's about uh, removing prejudice and judgment as well when you're going into a, a situation where you're meeting new people, you, you're creating an opportunity. It's, it's starting to think of it um, more holistically and, and like with the sports stuff that we've done um, here in the Southwest for inclusion for people with disabilities, it was working with mainstream sports to try to help them to understand that they're, they're potentially creating something that's quite um, excluding of, of a lot of people in the community, not just people with disabilities. So how can we start to engage more with our community to be able to open our doors a little bit more and welcome people in and assist them through that process rather than sort of sitting back and waiting for people to walk through. So I guess it was about taking the step towards um, creating those opportunities and having those conversations. But you're exactly right. Like we, we definitely do need to acknowledge who we are, where we come from, accept some things. But then... It doesn't mean that we that's always got to be the same way. We we've got we can work towards a um, a common goal, which obviously is creating opportunities for, for anyone to be who they want to be. Yeah, definitely, and I think you know that acknowledging the history. I mean, when we talk about Aboriginal people, there's obviously um, quite a tragic history um, with with the white people coming into the country but there's also other things that are not seen the intergenerational uh, trauma that there is the stolen generation um, and we've got to acknowledge that, that is part of people's backgrounds and that you know when we, we're talking to people we've got to be sensitive about it and i know with with um white privilege it's so so easy to just gloss over these things but they they are real things and they really do cause a great deal of distress to to a lot of people yeah, and I and see it was I. The reason I got involved in the Sherry Young Initiative and became a Sherry Young Ambassador was I, here. I was always trying to fight for the rights of people with disabilities. The last couple of years, and trying to advocate on behalf of others, and try to try to again start the conversation and and change that perception and um, really try to reduce that stigma. And then I realised here I am. I'm fighting and constantly working towards trying to get people with disability in the conversation and and. And advocating for that, but I was completely ignorant to our, our, our history here in Australia. And, and obviously, like you said, the trauma involved and, and the way things were done. And I was like, I, here I am, I'm, I'm only, I want to be able to create a more inclusive future. I need to educate myself so I can work towards not just for people with disability, but for anyone, doesn't matter where you come from um, or, or your background. And so, hence why, for me, this was an important shift in my own um, train of thought and, and I guess my future, because I want my kids to grow up knowing this stuff as well and to be able to to be able to work with communities to try to and create those opportunities so yeah look it was I, as i said i was ignorant and i just wanted to make sure that i, I was no longer ignorant and i could be a part of the solution rather than sort of pretending not necessarily that it didn't happen but just sort of staying out of that conversation um if that makes sense oh, it makes perfect sense to me and i think that's you know part of the thing that i do and have done with myself is to understand my history my story and my people's um, history and I think you know once you understand that you start to feel reconciled within yourself and then you can reconcile with others so I think you know it's first part of reconciliation is to be at peace with yourself and then the second yeah. part of it is to be at peace with others and acknowledge that we have a shared history um, and you know not all of it's great 
but we we've now got a future that we can all in, involve ourselves in the future you know and the that combination of cultures is a very powerful thing oh and, and i think look at look at the learnings we've had from multiple cultures you know like um australia is a multicultural country like we, we have people from all sorts of backgrounds. We have people from all, all different places and, and they identify, identify differently as well. And, and I think the more accepting we can become of people, I, I think the, the future is going to be amazing. Like, don't get me wrong, there's a long way to go. But I, I look forward to, to the world that my, my kids are um, going to be growing up in because I think um, we're starting to really go more, rather than, I guess, grouping people together, we're starting to look more towards the individual and, and allowing people to come out and be who they want to be. And be able to be proud of who they are. Mm. Um, and I think that that's really what we've got to, we're working towards is, 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 again, allowing people to be able to have the space to be able to be proud of who they are and achieve their own goals and support them through that process. Absolutely. And we go back to Nicky Wimmer with his shirt up pointing yep. at the colour of his skin. You know, very important part that this was a man who was proud of who he was and, and his culture and his history. And I think that's something we've, we've, we could all learn from that. And I think, you know, this year's theme, uh, reconciliation, more than the word. Um, it certainly is more than the word. It's a lifestyle and it's something that we should all be striving towards. Oh, without doubt. And I think, again, coming back to the Sherry on Initiative, like, as athletes, we we are role models in the community. Oh, anyone really is a role model in the community. But I guess using sport as a vessel to try to bridge that gap of the cultural division, I think... To be able to have people like Nick Winmar do that and not be such a culture shock as it was back then, you know, like mm. that was that was in the face of mainly the obviously the white community, and, and they didn't necessarily like what they seen, and so there was a massive um, like there was a massive division of the views on what he did there, and I think yep. the best things from that though was the start of the conversation, you know, and then. And now we're starting to, to have those, those instances of bringing up a conversation that more and more people are willing to engage in. And, and as I said, as, as athletes, we are a big part of that conversation. And, and sport is a vessel most Australians, um, I guess, take part in. So if we yeah. can use sport to really try to create those opportunities, then, and then who knows where it can go from there. But I think the other thing is with sport, when, when you're on the pitch, you, you're judged by what you do and not by the colour of your skin. And Archie Thompson, to me, is Archie Thompson, soccer footballer. Oh, yeah. yep. And, you know, his, his race is, is there. But at the same time, the major thing about him is he's a footballer. And I think, you know, Sam Kerr in the same light. I know lots of people go female football. To me, Sam, Sam Kerr is a footballer and, and the gender is not important. And it's those are... For me, is an equalising factor. It's yeah. a skill that that person shows and displays is what they're judged on. And that's the same for any sport, cricket, um, golf, tennis, doesn't matter. Um, you, you, you're graded on your ability, not you, not anything else. Yeah, that's right. And also, I've been looking, uh, you know, the, 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 20, um, the 20 actions for rec- reconciliation, sp- particularly for, for athletes. You yeah. know, number two, call out racism. What, what would you be... Um, using as part of your plan on that particular uh, situation, particularly from an athlete's point of view there, Brad? <coughs> yeah, you know, I guess it depends um, on so many different things. And I think what we're trying to do is really encourage athletes to be able to speak up. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's about athletes knowing that they, they if they see something that they don't agree with or if they hear something they don't agree with, don't stay quiet about it, speak up. Because the, every, every time those things happen, and more and more we let it go, the worst and worst it's going to get. So every time you, you see anything happening, whether it's on the field, 
um, off the field is to speak up, and it might not be directly to that person, but to speak up to, to someone or, or to an organisation to be able to uh, uh, to take the appropriate action because this is no longer we can't we can't keep doing this. We can't keep on pretending like these things aren't being said or, or just pushing them under the rug. Yeah. We want athletes now to be able to be strong and to go. You know what? I'm not going to stand for this because we all deserve the opportunity to be who that we want to be. Exactly right. Yep, yeah. Yep. The opportunity to be to be brave and, and, and safe enough to call out those sorts of actions against uneducated people who are who are making those comments. Well, exactly it's, right. it's more dangerous than that, though. Hugh, you, oh, yeah. you've got some educated people who actually <laughs> use it as a, as yeah, a very yeah. pointed weapon. Yes, this is true yeah. enough. Yeah, and I, I guess really, like coming back to the athletes, look, there, there are going to be athletes who are more experienced who have the confidence to speak up, and there's going to be new athletes coming through. And and whether that means you're a junior just playing your sport or or you're at the end of your career. Everyone should feel empowered to be able to speak up on, on what they believe on in terms of obviously trying to create a more inclusive and equitable opportunity for everyone, in, in, whether it's sport or in general life. Yeah, look, and celebrate the differences. I mean, I imagine within, well, I know within the Pararoos, you, you've got um, all different levels of people competing and there are different disabilities. Um, you're all united as a team. No one's pointing at someone else and, and going, you know, you're better off than me or you're worse off than me or anything else. It's just, you know, we accept that we are who we are. We accept those differences and, and we celebrate those differences. Yeah, and but that journey is different for everyone, you know. Like I said, I didn't accept my disability, honestly, until I was probably 21, and I was mm. even after the Beijing Games. Like, I, I didn't wrong, I realised it was an opportunity for me, but I see, still see myself as a lesser person. I've seen that everyone... I, I put everyone else on a pedestal and put me below, below them because I was like, well... Look, I'm not. I'm not better than them. I'm. I'm not as good as them, you know. And and I've got a disability. I've got red hair and freckles, and I'm a freaking <laughs> doctor supporter. So I've got. You know, like, <laughs> I have to point out. So, like, so, so for me, it was all like it was all like okay. I, I, and then I was, I was thankful enough to be able to work with a sports psychologist who yeah. honestly helped me through so much, and to have that conversation with him, and to understand that everyone is worth the same. But it's what we choose to do with that worth that really adds a value. And I guess that's where I really seen my, the rest of my journey was adding value to try to pick people up to be to be the best they can be, rather than putting others down. Like we don't need that anymore. Like why don't we support each other to to, to achieve those goals? Because isn't it better when we all achieve? You know, like. And I think the beautiful thing with sport is that the results unknown. That's why we love it so much. We're so passionate about that journey because we just don't know. Like yes. Um, there are different factors involved, but I think the fact is, as long as we go out there and give our best and then really, really um, enjoy that process, it's an amazing, it's an amazing life to lead. It certainly is, um, but I have to point out that Rangers are still fair game, oh, mate. Oh, come on! That's <laughs> <laughs> um, no, so I've got my grandchildren, and and I was, and, and still am, probably a Ranger, but um, you know, we're fair game. Um, Inclusion is something you've been involved with for a long time. Um, I know last year there was uh, a huge carnival down there in Bunbury, which was the Bunbury Inclusion Football Carnival. Um, how's that going uh, in the southwest? Yeah, look, we're, we're currently planning for it to happen again, and we, we like to have it in December around the International Day for people with disability. And it, it keeps football in the conversation too through the summer months, yep. um, especially for kids. Uh, but I guess really what it's about is trying to create a place where it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, you have an opportunity to play. And, and the ethos of the carnival is basically is everyone having a crack. And, 
And um, it's not about who wins. And we didn't have any um, uh, best on grounds or anything like this. We had, we had, um, you know, basically ethos awards, which was who was living, uh, who was playing, or who was uh, participating uh, under the values of what it was all about. And and it was amazing to see kids with and without disabilities not playing against each other, but also playing with each other. And and there was, there was a beautiful moment. The young boy with CP, who's diaplegic. Um, so his, both his legs are affected. Um, he, he stumbled and fell over and, and some kids went over to help him up. But then he got up and they just went on with the game and no one made a big fuss about it and he kept going and it was just absolutely brilliant. But then to have the WA Para team involved too, um, it was quite special. But I have to say, look, I think having Inclusion Solutions, um, they're, in, they're, in, they're an organisation up there in Perth and they do some amazing yep. work with really trying to bring community together. And the Manchester United Foundation was also involved. So really looking forward to trying to get those guys back involved again this year and we're going to try to make it bigger and better because um, these things shouldn't happen just every once in a while. Why not make this an annual event so we can try to create a pathway where anyone with a disability to participate in football? Like... There was a number of kids I was participating in in December who are now joined up to local mainstream clubs yeah. and playing in their age groups because now they, they found a passion for a sport that they didn't even know they could participate in. Absolutely. And all it was was about creating that opportunity. Yeah, and I think there's you know, there's some things that I've learned myself. Um, I'm going through your um, Facebook page the other day, and I, someone was was on there saying that it's actually it's not. There's nothing wrong with his legs. It's his brain that's not working properly. Um, yeah. But, you know, I thought that was an interesting twist on things and, and, you know, put it in perspective for me. But then there was another thing that you had, and we learned so much from children because children don't don't no. see a lot of these things. They, they can be taught races and they can be taught to treat people differently. But there's um, a Detroit middle school where a young lady in a wheelchair wanted to play football and the kids just made it happen. Yeah. Uh, a very yeah. inspiring story. You know, the, these kids are... Yeah past her the, the football and she's gone racing off on the wheelchair as they're running blocks for her and everything. It's just fantastic to see. So, you know, it, inclusion is something that we, we should just do and not have to even think about, yep. really. And again, those 20 steps of uh, reconciliation, number six, make it everyone's business. You know, yeah. Yeah. old, young, it just doesn't matter. It, it's your business to make it happen. And and like we discussed before we, uh, we went on air, Sean, yeah. it shouldn't just be a day, a week, an hour. Every, it's a lifestyle. Every thought process yeah. should yeah. be it should be in, in that th- in that space. Uh, I guess that's the greatest thing about doing stuff like this, whether it's National Reconciliation Week or NAIDOC Week or, or if we're going towards Inclusion Carnival or International Day for People with Disability, it, it gets a conversation started at least. So... What happens is the more and more we can have that conversation, the more and more it gets ingrained into our habits and we start to be, start to live that life, you know, and yes. we start to create a more equal and inclusive opportunity for anyone. And, and look, I, I guess, like I said earlier, I, I'm so lucky. I'm so lucky that sport was my vessel to show my worth and to show my value. And, and look, there was so much anxiety for a lot of people with disabilities participating in sport because... They're, they're going up against barriers before they even start, you know, and unfortunately sometimes those barriers are placed upon by, by the community, not by themselves, and, and by, by being able to break down those barriers, we can help reduce that anxiety, that fear around participating and start to create those opportunities. And, and one of the best examples of also not football was when I, um, I borrowed like 12 basketball wheelchairs and tried wheelchair basketball down in Bunbury for, yeah. for five weeks. We had over 400 people in the chairs. Yeah. And from there... 
people with disabilities now want to participate in wheelchair basketball and we had people without disabilities wanting to do the same. It, it just creates more equitable opportunity for anyone. Mm-hmm. But it creates understanding. You know, they say if you want to understand someone, walk a mile in their shoes and it's not until you, you are in a wheelchair or if you've got someone close to you that's in a wheelchair that you start to realise some of those things. I mean, I, I'd say my wife into shops, she, she's in the wheelchair when we go into the shops and... Um, Amazing how many shops are so poorly designed you can't yeah. get a wheelchair down the yeah. aisles. And it may as well put a sign up outside saying disabled, not yes. not welcome, you know. So I think it's good that we are having those conversations and that people are aware of those conversations. And I, I'm really glad we've got someone like you down there oh, in the yeah. southwest doing the work, Brad, because it's, it's brilliant what you do. Um, with, the, with the Olympics coming up and then obviously the Paralympics following, you're, you're still regretting uh, retiring? Uh, look, yeah, it's one of those things. Obviously, you get a bit, um, you get, you get a bit telly when those bones come around. You're like, damn, I wish I was there. I, um, I was actually meant to be working at the Tokyo Paralympics last year. Um, yeah. Before, obviously, you got um, pushed back a year because of COVID. And um, given the fact that obviously they're going on a reduced capacity for the games, I, um, I was no longer needing a physical sense, but I'll still be doing some work virtually. I actually. Um, I, I facilitate workshops and um, programs for the International Paralympic Committee, and um, we do we have a program called Proud Paralympian. But I'm also working with them on um, the athlete selection. Um, so really trying to encourage athletes to not only vote but also to nominate themselves to to become a representative on the athletes commission. Because again, yeah. coming back to it, like we want athletes to be able to share their voice and to be a voice of others and and to really drive that conversation. But look, as someone who's so passionate about sport, I don't know how much sleep I'm going to get because I know it's a good time zone, but I'll be watching replays and watching everything else. And, yeah. and um, oh, look, it, it's one of those things where I kind of wish it wasn't every four years or five, obviously, this cycle. But it's, that's probably a good thing about two, same with the Football World Cup, you know, like the, the anticipation, the build-up to what makes it so good. And, and the fact that it's only around for such a short period every four years makes it so special. And, and I know there's conversation about trying to make things two years and stuff like that, but come on, like let, let's keep it as a quadrennial cycle because I think the whole field and, and the generational change yeah. of teams and, and then the sports is, is quite, quite an amazing journey to witness as well. Yeah. No, look, it's fantastic. Every word you speak, I can hear the passion. Um, you, you do a power of work down down there in the southwest, and obviously within the um, Paralympian community and the inclusion community. So, uh, really like talking to you. Like your passion, man. You, you really are a, a top bloke. And uh, thank you for being on. Thanks, gents. Really appreciate it. Quick question: Who's going to win Euros? Ah, uh, look, the, the sad, pathetic English from the inside me has to say England. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 we'll get knocked out on penalties in the semis, but, you know, po- po- probably the Germans or the Portuguese, I don't know. Oh, you, you're not going to go to the French? Ah, no, I hate the French. Oh, hate Before, the French. You don't fight with someone for 100 years and then, not, <laughs> and then forgive them, you know. I think, I think Italy's going to be one of the teams to beat, you know. I think they're yeah. looking pretty good, so, yeah. But anyway, gents, we'll see what happens. I think that's another one that I'm going to lose sleep for, I think. Um, <laughs> <Except> we all. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Absolutely. No worries. Thank you very much, Brad. Good on you, Brad. Cheers, James. Catch ya. Bye. All right. That was Brad Scott, who is the uh, Sherry Yarn Ambassador for Reconciliation Week, and he's down there with the inclusion um, for the disabled community. Fantastic guy. Um, Former dual Paralympian. Yeah, look, and he's a very, very passionate man. And and like I said, the resource I was on, it's the National 
reconciliationweek.org.au. Jump on that. That's got the 20 actions for reconciliation. Um, and, and it shouldn't just be for, for this week. It should be for all time. It, it's, um, it's a powerful, powerful website. Jump on yeah, board. Look, it's something educate we, yourself. It's something we should all be doing every day. It's um, yeah, it's not that hard. Um, just accept people for what they are. Accept they've got a history, and yeah, that's it. That's it. All right, we're going to go a break. We'll be back after that with Phil Kelly, who is the State League Standing Committee Chairperson. What's going on there? What's going on there? <laughs> I'm Rose, a junior trainee at Oswest Fencing and Wrought Iron. I am the fourth generation of our family business. Oswest Fencing is built on 50 years of experience, creating unique fencing and gates and servicing the West Australian community. Let us help you secure and refurbish your home or business with customised materials and automation made to laugh. Ring us on 9258 6822 to discuss your ideas or visit our online galleries at auswestfencing.com.au. That's A-U-S-W-E-S-T fencing.com.au. Station sponsor. I'm Miranda Templeman, goalkeeper for the Junior Matildas. Join me and local women's football expert Penny Tannerhoe as we share our news and journey through the football calendar with the best guests from your local community and all across Australia. You're listening to the World Football Program on Radio Fremantle. One hundred seven point nine FM, your local station. All right, welcome. All right, welcome back. Um, well, Sean's busy teeing up our next guest. We've got the uh, the NPLWA women's fixtures for round nine, and those that were lucky enough to brave the cold last night would have seen some cracker games. Northern Redbacks two against Perth SC. That was at Macedonia Park. Um, Larry scored another cracker of a goal. Gee, well, she's, a, she's a top player. And uh, hello, Penny. Mum FC uh, had a one-all draw with uh, the NTC. So, again, good. that doesn't really help Mum too much at the top of the table because that gives, obviously, another two points uh, a lead for the Redbacks. But we've got a game t- today at 5pm. That'll be Curtin versus Balcata. That's at Edinburgh Oval. And... On uh, Monday, WA Day, there will be Subiaco versus Fremantle City. That's a five o'clock, both of those games at five o'clock kickoffs. Yeah, plenty of football out there if you want to be a fan of the women's game. Um, so, yeah, get yourself out there. There are some very, very good women players out there. So, um, yeah, do yourself a favour. Yeah. Um, now, our next guest joining us is the current chair of the State League Standing Committee, mm-hmm. um, in Phil Kelly. Good morning, Phil. Uh, good morning, Sean. Good morning, Hugh. Morning, Phil. Um, two years, it's flown, but it's been an interesting two years, hasn't it? I mean, lots going on. It's certainly been a very, very busy two years, actually, and an interesting two years, probably um, certainly a bit of drama and um, quite a lot unfolded in that time. So within your two-year term, what do you think has been the, the biggest achievement of the State League Standing Committee? Um, look, I guess at this point in time, and I mean, apart from having to deal with some crises that were ahead of us, and I feel like we we dealt with them um, 
pretty well. So we'll, we'll park that and we'll talk about those perhaps um, separately. But certainly a reintroduction of top four playoffs in the state league and and integrating those with our with our divisional uh, playoff games um, for promotion and relegation as well. Mm, no, it's been very, very popular and also the people have been voting with their feet. So, yeah, yeah definitely been a, a big achievement, that one. Um, COVID was thrown in the middle of that. How do you, how do you feel you dealt with COVID? Uh, Football West have listened or, or worked with you with COVID? Yeah, look, certainly the case. And Football West um, um, went, well, I guess, sort of advice from the standing committee very early uh, about when we're talking now over 12 months ago, 14 months ago, when things started, started to go fairly pear-shaped. Um, and the sorts of discussions we were having at the time, didn't really know how long a lockdown would be for, um, what it would look like. There was a lot of discussion, particularly around uh, playing games in front of no crowds and what that meant, particularly for state league clubs. Um, and Football West were, were, very, were very good listening to the thoughts of the standing committee at the time. And, and rightly so. Um, obviously, playing in front of empty stadiums works for TV rights and the EPL and the Euros, etc. But mm. certainly does not work for uh, what is really a community league, um, and which is generated from the social interaction and activity that goes on on a match day. So um, it was very important that we... We held off on our seasons as quickly as possible and um, managed the restart as effectively as possible as well. And there are a lot of hanging fruit off that, um, reducing fees, um, how how we managed a a reduced season, what that actually meant. So there was quite a lot of uh, moving parts. And in other things, what's the engagement level like from clubs with the the state league standing committee? For those that are engaged, you. In the, pretty typical um, of most committees. Look, there's ultra-engagement and then there's um, a general melancholy and just acceptance of what happened and complain later. Um, but for those that are engaged in the process, would have found it um, mostly rewarding, um, responsive, um, and would have actually had a say, not, not always do your thoughts and ideas and um, demands at some point. Um, they can't all be fulfilled, unfortunately, because we need to take into consideration, um, in our case, 24, or the interest of 24 state league clubs. So um, that can certainly um, make things a bit complicated and some people do get let down during that process as well. But best part, um, certainly quite quite reasonable engagement from, from across the board. And if you believe the, the keyboard warriors on, on the internet... Um, he does. Yeah, you're you're, um, you're useless, and you're, you're just football west lackeys. Yeah, yeah. I wish we were um, <laughs> because we'd be able, we'd be able to get a lot more done. Um, be... Oh, don't know what's happened there. Man, that wasn't me. That wasn't me. <laughs> yeah, no, there seems to be something wrong with the uh, hands free. Hands free. Oh, no, he's falling oh, off no, the he's falling off. edge of the world, I edge think. Edge of the world, I think. I'm getting feedback. I'm getting echo. feedback. Echo. 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 Anyway, those that can hear us out there, well, I'll just jump in there um, yeah, until, we get, uh, until we get Phil back. So uh, the NPLWA um, men's fixtures for round 11, that's today. So we'll have Armadale versus Gwellup. That's at Alfred Skeet 
These are all three o'clock kickoffs. So that's at Alfred Skeet. We've got ECU Joondalup. They'll be playing Coburn. That's obviously up at ECU. Uh, Balcata versus Perth. Now, that's always a, a fantastic... I don't think I'm going to go as far as to call that a derby. Uh, that's at Grindleford. We've got Inglewood versus Perth Glory at Inglewood Stadium. Sorrento versus Bayswater City down at Windy Hill. Or Percy Dore Reserve, as we like to know it as. And lastly, Rockingham City versus Florida Athena. So that is going to be a difficult one for Rockingham. That's uh, obviously Florida at top of the table. Rockingham uh, at the bottom at the moment. Uh, this NPLW men's table, obviously, as I say, Florida at top, followed by Perth, ECU, Sorrento and Glory make up the top five. It's looking like a good competition this year. We've got I, managed, I managed to get Phil back. Um, <laughs> obviously, the uh, Football West Gremlins are at work and decided <laughs> just to cut the cable on your phone, but I think we got you back. Yeah, I've, I've changed over to the phone that Football West didn't give me now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but all jokes aside, look, um, not all the conversations with Football West are, are all positive or all negative. Um, there is there's certainly some robust discussion um, that takes place sometimes, and and not always formally, right? So there's a lot of informal discussion um, that that takes place over the journey as well. Um, so people talk about the the recommendation process and and um, you know the formal recommendation process up to the board. There, before it gets to that point, there is generally hours and hours and hours of work and conversations and engagement with um, stakeholders. So. Um, when a, a recommendation is rejected, um, it's usually not a surprise for most of those people that have been part been involved in that process. Yeah, absolutely. So some some of those things are just minor tweaks to the competition rules or to the way things are interpreted, or maybe um, there's been a um, what's the, what's the word now? I'm looking for. No, there's been a been a gap in the rules or an omission made or whatever. Dis- disconnect. Yeah, disconnect somewhere along the line. Yeah, well, yeah. Oh, well, well, where, where, where references rule um, 18C uh, <laughs> and it doesn't actually it doesn't actually reference the, the correct area of the law. Yeah, yeah. Or the um, correct area of the competition rules, that sort of thing. So a lot of those things do just get addressed as they need to because it makes sense. But yeah. I mean. There are a couple of things, and there was one in particular that the State League Standing Committee for the entire two years that we've persisted with, um, knowing that, yes, it will be rejected, but it hasn't changed the fact that we'll continue to do that, and that's the uh, requirement of State League clubs to have juniors to be promoted to the NPL. Um, Because they're no no longer coupled, so... Well, no longer coupled, and it's no secret that... um, Football West are very aware that the 24 state league clubs are, well, the NPL clubs that are state league clubs also um, yeah. don't agree, but the remaining clubs are all absolutely against that particular rule mm-hmm. because it is unfair and it makes it difficult. As Gwellup have found, Gwellup have just been recently promoted. They've been promoted to the NPL. Yeah. Their juniors remain in the Metro League. What we say with respect to that rule is either allow for instance, Gwellup's juniors to go into the NPL, which isn't really a good solution. It's not positive. The last thing we need in the junior NPL are more junior NPL teams or just remove the requirement altogether. So then, what? unfortunately, what happens is we get ambitious clubs who 
um, have because they've got pressure from their players, from their members, from their coaches to do unfortunate things to fulfil um, teams in junior competition. But the, really the whole NPL system nationally is under review. Yes. Um, I know that Football West doing a lot of work in reviewing the player pathway and, you know, is the NPL, which is just a brand working for us, I think unanimously across the country, the answer to that is no. Absolutely. And look, NPL is, um, and it used to be a destination, um, and this is a term that was coined by Mark Twamley. I need to quote him on this because I've gone into trouble in the past. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so Mark Twamley needs all the credit he deserves because he's, um, he's a, a very strong operator and a valued member of our standing committee, um, President of Forest Stewart, obviously. Mm-hmm. But NPL is a standard. It's not a destination. Yes. And, and I think everybody accepts that. Now, there's nothing wrong with having good standards and we should be we should be pushing for everybody to have as high as possible standards. Um, yeah, but to, but to quote my... We can do that. To quote myself, we have standards and no yeah. matter how low they are, they're still standards. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's also true. Yeah. Um, so, so that's a very good point. However, on that point, um, one of the last actions of, um, of this standing committee, the term of this standing committee, will be to meet with the consultants who include Rob Sherman. We're meeting them uh, in about two weeks' time. Um, and it will be for us to have an opportunity to speak to the consultants and Rob Sherman on mm. what the framework for West Australian football will be. Yeah. Um, they have already spoken to quite a few stakeholders, um, various standing committees as well. So they're hopefully getting a very good picture of where everyone's thoughts are. And, and as long as they understand, no matter what they do, they've got it wrong. Um, <laughs> they'll be fine. That's the, that's the easiest assumption to make, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, we just need to try, I think it, we just need to make sure that everyone feels equally aggrieved and they've done a good job. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I suppose the thing it's is not, that... The, it's a bit like being a referee here. Yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> right. Never right. Never right. For, football West come under a lot of fire. You you deal with them on a regular basis. And, you know, some of those commentaries about being lackeys and that's because you agree with some of what they do. Um, but your relationship as a, as a committee with Football West um, has to work both ways. As you've already said, you, you have some robust discussion um do you feel that, that relationship has improved um or do you, you feel that there's a disconnect between yourself football west and the board um not well we we to be honest and this is something i'd like to see improve is that there's very little engagement with the board the board are a mythical beast with respect to football um, and I'd like to see more again, and that's partly our fault, right? That's mm-hmm. not. Um, that's not. I'm not saying that the board's fault. Certainly, um, myself as the role of chair, um, I'd like to see more engagement with the board, not just at special functions and um, briefings and that sort of thing, or an AGM. Mm-hmm. Um, it'd be nice to see where, what, what direction, commercial direction they're setting, and really commercial and strategic direction and actually have a bit of a discussion with them more so on that. Um, but as far as the executive go, um, I'm talking with Football West and Football West Operations because that's where that's where our uh, engagement mostly is. Look, the relationship certainly improved. Um, and that's not to say that it was bad previously. I think that what has there has been from Football West is an acknowledgement of some faults and certainly from 
um, from a perspective as well. So there's been that, I guess, 360-degree feedback um, about where we need to improve our communications and engagement and how we communicate with each other. And you don't always get it right. And no. I think as long as everyone's accepting of the fact that we're allowed to make mistakes and I guess we learn from them and don't make the same mistake twice. And that's yeah. really how it feels at the moment with Football West. Um, mm-hmm. they've, had, they've had a pretty rough time over the last 12 months and that's not an excuse or justification or anything. But you think about what has occurred within their own organisation as well. Yeah. Um, and then to be able to deliver a level of competition. We might all be happy with the delivery of it, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm pretty confident that um, we're heading in the right direction. Absolutely. Now, one of the things that we've spoken about previously is the zone reps. And um, I remember back in the day, the zone rep was yeah, the conduit of uh, communication between Football West and clubs and would advocate for clubs with Football West standing committees, etc. Um, I think those roles have kind of fallen away for my personal experience of them is that the the reps don't make themselves known to the clubs and some of them certainly have the attitude of, well, my name's on the on the website, <laughs> yeah, they should yeah. contact me. Um, you know, where, where do we get that right? Because it's, it's quite a powerful position and um, yeah. it doesn't get used or utilised appropriately. No, I think this is where standing committees have probably stepped up the role now. Zone reps technically are far more powerful than a standing committee. Um you become, a, you become a zone rep, you get a voting right in your own right, um, although technically you're meant to represent, I don't know, 50 clubs in yeah. your zone, Everybody. for example, <laughs> yeah. right? But how much engagement are you having with those clubs? Now, we all know, because we've, we've not spoken to a zone rep, I would imagine, unless that zone rep was the person at your club, hmm. um, you probably haven't spoken to a zone rep in... 20 years, hmm. I'd imagine. Um, is that a problem with the process? Probably. Um, I think it's an area that standing committees have stepped up into and stand, standing committees probably fulfil that role more than what zone reps are or should be doing. Yeah. Um, and zone reps, I mean, I'd be, to be honest, if you're in a club, if you're on a committee or if you're a player or a member of a club right now, you should be asking who your zone rep is and ensuring that when important things are being decided um, or if there are certain things impacting your club from an operational yeah. perspective with Football West, you should be placing pressure on that zone rep. Well, I go back to the fact that they're the conduit between Football West and the, the clubs, and I think Football West also need to upskill these people and provide them with their role and the information that they need to be sharing with clubs. But, you know, that's my personal opinion. Yeah. Absolutely right. And, and the thing is, I mean, if you look back and look at the Crawford Report, right, why these existed, it was to ensure that there was no power plays and nepotism and those sorts of things. It was it was to give everybody a fair um, a, a fair voice, yeah. right? So it was to ensure that no one was left behind. And, and Well, the thing is, if you want to be left behind, you will get left behind. Yeah, yeah. But, but also there is, part of the issue. there are also sometimes issues that clubs themselves don't have the, the time or the ability or the knowledge to then go absolutely, and discuss at football's yeah. level. Absolutely right. And and you know, not not knowing what discussions to have or understanding, um, I guess, the finer points of, of, of what's going on because sometimes just because a club wants something to be, 
it doesn't mean it can be that way. No. Um, to try, I'm trying to think of a good example, but um, probably a good one is where state league clubs in particular struggle to field 18 teams. Or, or um, where a coach has walked out mid-season and taken half a team with him. Exactly. Yeah. Now, yeah. is it fair to impose the rules on that state league club? Should they be allowed some concessions? Um, any state league club in that position would want to have concessions placed upon them um, in that circumstance. But, you know, and, and, and the club would certainly feel that they should, but we have to apply the rules fairly and consistently from year to year, mm-hmm. not just from club to club. So that's probably a good example of where, you know, a club might want something, but it can't it can't be achieved because we need to think of the integrity of the game yep. and um, what happens in subsequent years as well. There two two big uh, words in that uh, in that statement there. You know, integrity and consistency. Well, I suppose if we go go back to that, the the Southwest Phoenix, um, when you know a couple of weeks out from the season, really didn't have enough players to field yep. a side. Um, that would be one of the big ones. And then about well, what, what happened about, with that. So talking about that, with the recommendation that was made in relation to that. I mean, that was a. I think I'd been in the in the chair role about two weeks. When that landed on my desk, <laughs> um, nothing like starting small, is there? Yeah, no, it was, it was a bit of a baptism of fire that one. And um, look, that was a very, very complex, difficult, hard um, circumstance. We've got a we've got a state league club that effectively wanted a holiday from the state league for one year. Now, from Bunbury's perspective or Southwest Phoenix's perspective, I could completely understand that and. Um, and I, I certainly understood the reasons for granting that circumstance to take place. However, had we have done that, we would have had to have done that for everybody yeah. going forward. Now, you can't just have state league clubs deciding, let's have a break this year and not play state league. Um, it's all too hard. Now, it's a lot more complex than that, but that's, that's the pretense. Now, with that particular decision, South West Phoenix decided to withdraw from the State League rather than um, run the gauntlet and attempt to um, participate in the State League season. And in a way, made it a bit easier for us as a State League standing committee. Um, however, where the recommendation came in later was that we did have a, a accredited vacancy at the end of the season. And one of the conditions of Southwest Phoenix withdrawing was that we allowed them to reapply um, had they had they decided to reapply for the State League in the next mm. season and um, and unfortunately didn't have the strongest application um, and that's all, all, all I can really say with, with respect yeah. to that but I suppose um, if, however, if, if you look at it from an ongoing thing at least that's a, a fair recommendation that you can go into the future with then the next thing was, where did they go? Do they go to the bottom of Division 5 and have to work their way back up through the AMs? And I think it was yeah. that they would go to the Premier Amateur and be given the opportunity to, to then fight for a space going back up. So if you look at it from a, a perspective of ongoing, it's actually a very fair and reasonable um, approach for a club that has fallen on hard times, gone into the... the the prem amateurs that could then either go down or up from there, depending on on what trajectory they're on, but with a hope of getting back to the state league. So I think you know from ongoing and enduring decision making, it's it's actually a pretty good decision. Yeah. 
Yep, and now, and now we have a precedent, and and I think that's one we can all sit and be comfortable with, and go, you know what, that's actually fair and reasonable, and it's not, it's not a free pass. Um, there are some consequences, yeah, and there is there is an opportunity to return, and albeit a little bit more of a difficult pathway, because as the rules were stated at the time, they would have had to have gone right down to the bottom of the pyramid. Yeah. Um, now challenges, and no, and no one wanted that. No challenges for the future. Um, obviously, this year the state leagues <laughs> have been you now being given amateur status, which in itself creates some issues. Like, are all the players now in state league one and state league two eligible to play in the state amateur team? And the other one is that next year, is there a plan, or, or do you think? clubs would be prepared to professionalise players, um, at least one in each league. Yep, so we'll need to consult clubs. Well, the new committee will need to consult clubs um, and ensure, well, and that will define what direction state league clubs go in. To define the league as professional will change the landscape significantly. It will change uh, how state league clubs find players today, um, how they register players today, um, and it'll it'll force a lot more um, due diligence and governance on clubs in a number of areas as well, mm. um, including including registering players. So state league clubs need to be prepared for that. If there is one state league club who is not prepared, and if I, I know, this, is, this is my attitude towards it, and hopefully um, it will be going forward as well, but if one state league club is not prepared, then no state league clubs are prepared. There's no point in... It's an all-or-nothing approach. Yep. Mm. Um we're only as good as our as our, our weakest member, for want of a better term. Yeah. Um, so there really is no point in us progressing to a professional league. If and if all of State League One, for example, are ready to move, then State League One will go. State League Two will wait. Um, and I think that's the sensible attitude towards that. But there are a lot of you talk about, um, I guess, challenges for the future. That's one massive one. Second one is player payments. Um, it's the worst secret. Which is tied into, into problem one with registrations, yeah. Uh, absolutely right. We need to do something about it. Um, there's no honour amongst thieves and all that sort of stuff, but we need to start legitimising our competition. We have a we have a black market, and there's, there's no way of describing it anything else. There is an absolute black market in the NPL and the State League, and we need to legitimise it. And I don't mind being open and transparent and declaring that, because it is the case. Mm. And... We need to do something about it. There's nothing wrong with players getting paid. They need to be paid legitimately, <laughs> yeah. and they need to be they need to be done so in a in a correct and in, in, in an integral manner. Yeah, and then when you look at players going east, you, at least then if you're professionalised, there's compensation, and I believe we're looking at t- transfer systems across Australia so that we can actually then buy and sell players between NPL clubs and and the A League. Why do you think there's so much pressure being put on clubs at the top level in Western Australia to um, ensure our governance around our registrations are accurate and correct? Absolutely. All right, Phil, thank you. That's the fundamental reason why. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you for your committee's time and your dedication from the team to football and hopefully you'll continue to do so for the next couple of years. Yeah, I was just going to say, you're putting your hand up to go again? I have, um, yeah, I have nominated again, much, much discussed um, <laughs> some people probably. Um, however, no, I have. I have re-nominated and hopefully, um, ho- hopefully I, I get up and um, can continue to contribute because it is, it is as, as um, difficult and painful as it can be sometimes, it is enjoyable and rewarding as well.
Fantastic. Well, that, that's good to hear, mate. Hopefully right. you, you're successful in that uh, application. Thank you Absolutely. for your time, Phil. Thanks, guys. All good. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Phil Kelly, whose term as president of the State League segment will end soon, and the yeah. king is dead. Long live the king. Yeah, well, and hopefully uh, it'll be King Phil again. Oh, well, we'll see. I mean, he's done a pretty good job, but there's other people out there. As he said, yeah. Mark Twam, he's a very experienced yep. person. And, and if you're one of those uh, out there that think he hasn't done a good job, well, you know how to uh, apply and, uh, you know. If yeah, just get on your keyboard and flame him. <laughs> um. <laughs> well, I was thinking of a different way with your keyboard, but, you know. <laughs> no, that's, that's the only way. way. All right, so we're going to go break, and we'll be back after this with Derek Pollock. Gate and Fence Hardware WA is your hardware shop online. Find all the parts you need to fix, make and secure your gates and fences. Friendly staff and family offer advice to help your project along or order in your special part. Gate and Fence Hardware WA. Station sponsor. G'day. I'm Peter Skeeler, the man behind A-LeagueStats.com and part of the world football team for 2021. Joining me this year will be women's football expert Penny Tannehoe, Ashfield Sports Club member Sean Kelly, Subutio expert Hugh Best and Junior Matilda's goalkeeper Miranda Templeman. We will be with you every Saturday morning through to the end of November talking football. Catch the show on live stream or via our new website. Listen in later on the podcast or land on our Facebook page and share your football news. The World Football Program on Radio Fremantle 107.9 FM. The top station on your radio dial, Radio Fremantle 107.9 FM. And welcome back. We've, um, while Sean's teeing up Derek, we've got uh, a little bit more fixture information. We've got the FFA Cup semi-final. The draw was made uh, midweek. These games will be played on June the 23rd and 24th, so we're at uh, the semi-final stage. Sorrento versus ECU Joondala. That's at Percy Doyle. Again, times to be uh, determined, but certainly uh, that'll be another one to get down to. And Floriot versus Coburn. That will be uh, a Floriot home game at Littis Stadium. We've got uh, the Men's State League Division 1 Round 9. These games are all to be played today at 3pm kickoff. We've got Joondalup United against UWA Netherlands at Forest Park. Forestfield United versus Sterling Macedonia, and we'll talk to Luke about that one. Um, That's at uh, Crazy Domain Stadium or Hartfield Park, as some of you may know it. Fremantle City will play Quinns at Hilton Reserve. Mandra City will play Olympic Kingsway. That's at um, Securitas Project Stadium down at Mandra. Swan United will play Subiaco at the Italian Club. And we have Western Knights playing Ashfield. That's at Nashfield. As I say, all those games will be kicking off at 3 p.m. In the Women's State League Division 1, it's round eight. We have Armadale playing Perth AFC at 3 p.m. kickoff uh, tomorrow at Alfred Skeet. 
We have Mandra City versus UWA Netherlands. Again, that's a 3 p.m. kickoff tomorrow at Mandra. And a Wednesday midweek fixture, which will be Sorrento versus Guelph. So that's the Women's State League, Division 1. And that uh, Wednesday night game will be at Percy Doyle. Lots of good football out there if you're Ooh, yeah. interested, mate, both in the men's and the women's. Always Some good. big games out there in Div- Always good to have Div- a big one fixture. Absolutely. All right, joining us on the line now is our man with, with the EPL under his uh, watchful gaze uh, in Derek Pollock. Derek, good morning. How are you? Yeah, good. Thank you, Sean. How are you guys? Yeah, good. good. Um, I suppose we'll, we'll get the pain out of the way first. The Champions League final, yeah. what happened? Uh, yeah, no, it was, it was, I mean, it seemed like a pretty good game, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Chelsea, yeah, Chelsea, Chelsea got up, it's just, yeah, so people complain about Werner's lack of clinical finishing, but again, like, it was Timo Werner's run that helped make, make the room for the goal, so, good on him. Yeah, absolutely, and, and I think, you know, we, the, it's a game of football, things happen, I mean, the team selection got some criticism to start yeah. off with, um, yeah. tactically, Guardiola was uh, criticised, but, you know, You've got to go out there and, and give it a shake. So um, they certainly did that, but it's the one trophy that's eluded Man City. Yeah, I mean, like you mentioned team selection. It's quite funny, given the yeah, the City went into the game without a recognised holding midfielder, mm. and the man of the match was probably Chelsea's holding midfielder. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that kind of almost, yeah, shows. Although, you know, Gundogan is... Yeah, I mean, it's bizarre, because Gundogan is a... Um, is a or can be a holding midfielder, yet he's the highest goal scorer for Man City this year. So, you know, he doesn't really play that role often. Um, and, and yeah, you know, he Guardiola has spoken about in post-match and pre-match press conferences throughout the year, Chelsea's ability to sort of um, just, I mean, he doesn't say the word part of the bus, but he, you know, he kind of implied that um, and defend really deeply and in, in a bit of a shell. And so maybe he just sort of thought we need, we don't need the holy midfielder, we just need a couple of extra sort of runs from deep to break through that. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, people say he's overthought it, which I, I think is ludicrous given that he makes changes all of the time and he's only ever called over, he only ever says he's overthinking it when it doesn't win and it quite often does win. Yep. And, and then there was that, that wonderful strategy, Noble de Bruyne, and that was it. I mean, he got hit pretty hard, but, you know, I would have thought someone of his quality could have come out even with a broken nose and, and performed. Kevin De Bruyne, yeah. So, I mean, I think um, the, the, the angriest person for that whole incident is um, Roberto Martinez, um, given that De Bruyne is going to be out of the Euros, I think, um, for Belgium. But, yeah, look, I, I, so I wonder how that game would have progressed then if, um, if De Bruyne's quality hadn't been injured um, so early in the game. So what future of Tuchel? I know that Chelsea have given him an extra two years, but uh, if we go back into recent uh, history with Chelsea, the last... Um, Champions League winner Di Matteo got the boot uh, very early in the season. Is Tuchel to follow the same way? I, I would. I'd, I'd be very, very surprised if that was the case. You know, um, Di Matteo was very much just like, a, "Oh, we've got rid of AVB. You're the assistant. Can you step up yeah. um, and and do this?" And then he just kind of kept the good thing going by winning the Champions League that season. And then it, it came very much unstuck very quickly yeah. after that. <laughs> uh, whereas Tuchel has a, a much larger sort of portfolio behind him of, of his work to sort of point to and say, no, no, I am, uh, you know, very much a first-team manager in my own right. And the fact that he got PSG to the Champions League final last year, so that's hmm. two Champions League finals in two years. If he had won it last year with P- PSG, well, he probably wouldn't have been sacked this year. But if, you know, <laughs> if that had have happened, I don't know how many managers would have won the Champions League final two years in a row with two, two different teams. Um, yeah. Not that he's adding to that list, but yeah, no, so I think um, him... 
getting the extension was very much deserved. And I think, to be fair, look at Tuchel. You sort of start to, to go, what was Lampard doing if <laughs> if Tuchel has managed to turn it around so quickly? I mean, they, they were almost a different team from the first game Tuchel played. Yep. Mm. Back into the you've got to be a bit worried, though, when you walk into your oh. office and, and there's a revolving door. So. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, Chelsea. I mean, they were getting to that point, weren't they? Where it was, you know, let's. It's time to unveil the new, the new kicks for the next season and the new manager. <laughs> <laughs> with managers in mind in the EPL, there's been a, a bit of a merry-go-round there with uh, Everton um, losing uh, everyone's favourite to go back to Real Madrid. We've got uh, Wolves looking for a new manager. Tottenham still with their with their issue, and, and yeah. Palace. Poor old Roy's got uh, got. Uh, got the boot. I, you know, being a West Brom fan, I love Roy. And uh, Big Sam's put his hand up for all four of those jobs. What's the chances was. of uh, Big Sam getting? Uh... Big Sam would do all four at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> so any... the Tottenham one uh, actually was was the funniest because every day there was an, uh, after Mourinho went, there was a new report in the paper about this person is the favourite <laughs> for the Tottenham job, and then almost immediately that, that, that they saw that rumour, they either got another job or signed a contract <laughs> extension at their current job, and it was like you know just one after another just. <laughs> Putting their hand up, saying, "Nope, not me, not me." Yeah, yeah. I think the Everton one is the most, the most curious because I mean, I've got an Everton supporting friend, and I've, I've never seen him as deeply wounded as he was when we were discussing Carlo Ancelotti. Yeah. Um, you know, the man talk, he was talking about the project, and he's here for the project, and he wants this project, and all of this, all of this nonsense as it turned out. And then, you know, a day later, he goes back to Real Madrid, where he knows he's probably going to be out of the job <laughs> by, by Christmas. <laughs> Are you sure that project he was talking about wasn't the new stadium for Everton? <laughs> well, exactly. You know, it was. It was. You know, you start. They started getting better players. They had the new stadium. They and the manager was kind of that final piece of the jigsaw to propel them to sort of the next stratification of English football. Um, and then that's kind of been whipped away before their eyes. And you know, yeah, okay. Um, um, Spirito Santo is a good manager, but yeah, you just I don't know. You, you felt like that was kind of the one. And do you think Conte is going to take up the reins at um, Tottenham? And if he does, will that be enough to keep Harry Kane there? Oh. Well, I mean, the next manager for Tottenham is just... I mean, it's hard to overestimate how important it is because you've got a lot of players that have kind of gone through this... Again, I'm using this word. It's, it's the most overused word in football. Uh, have gone through this project mm-hmm. with Pochettino. Then who, to see... Who the, is still the available? Rush, Poch is, is still available. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, but they go through this project with Pochettino and then just see, just add your leave, you destroy everything that was built by getting, the, you know, the black hole of negativity of English football um, to, to, to just destroy everything and then start again. And then to then to go, oh, actually, yeah, that was a mistake. Let's do something different. I mean, it'd be very, it'd be a very hard sell to convince Kane that, you know, they're going somewhere when he's just so happy to change direction of the club overnight. Yeah. Uh, I, I, just, I mean, look, Conte could go there, but that's got to be uh, match made or not in heaven, in hell kind of thing because Conte is, is happy to just have a go at the board where whenever he's slightly unhappy and he demands you know massive amounts of, of transfer money and then complains when he doesn't get it. Mm. <laughs> so I just, you know, that, that, that surely, like, don't you leave me smart enough to, to not... You know, give that one a go. Although, you know, you would have said that before Mourinho as well. And look yeah. where that happened. Now, with Man City, Guardiola, is he safe? I mean, the, the one trophy that they've really wanted is the Champions League. He's had basically one hand on it, slapped off by, by Chelsea. Um, do you think they're going to change him or do you think they're going to give him another crack? Uh, I, 
it's very much a case of Guardiola is going to decide when his time at City is up. <laughs> that's that's the guarantee there. City aren't going to get rid of Guardiola. They they built the entire club around, you know, they built the entire club for him, and then eventually got him. So I mean, he, you know, he he will decide when his time is up. Very much so. And, and you can't, I mean, you can't say to a manager your time's up when he's got to the Champions League final, only lost by a goal, had a few chances in the last few minutes to equalise. Won the Premier League and won the League Cup. <laughs> I mean, even for even for a club the size of City, that's that's um, got to be enough. So, what do you think's going on at, at Wolves? I mean, you know, Nuno Espirito Santos, you know, sensational period he's had there, and um, you know, I hear reports that they're going to go for um, Carlos Cavallo's uh, number two in Bruno Laghi. I mean, if you're going to go for their number two, surely you'd be going for the number one and bring the number two with him. Yeah, maybe there was. Um I mean, it's, it's always one of those things, though, that, you know, it depends on, on the person, but sometimes um, a, a famous assistant manager decides that the time is right for them to go it alone and maybe they want a little bit more responsibility. They've, they've been the number two for long enough and learnt enough or felt they've learnt enough from their time and want something different. Maybe the yeah, maybe the, the, the um, original target just wasn't available or wasn't available for the right price. So, so you know, a lot of, a lot of factors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, now, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, you, your, your tip to be the first manager yeah. sacked this season has ended up pretty well. Uh, yeah, so that was obviously, I'm, I'm happy to put my hand up for that tip. That was very much not on target. <laughs> you know, um, having, having said that, you know, I, um, I still feel that the Europa League final showed that some of the criticisms I had of Solskjaer um, were still valid, where if, you know, a lot of the attacking tactics still at this to this point seems to be can we get the ball to Bruno, he will do something with it, or can we get the ball to Marcus Rashford and he'll run really quickly and do something with it, and that kind of, when, when that's blocked, they just don't really seem to have any other ideas, which is, is, has been the criticism this whole time, and I think this season will be um, this next season will be a bit pretty revealing about whether or not Solskjaer has got the goods tactically, or if that won't be the case, and, and I'm I'm interested to see which way that goes. Yeah, definitely. Um, now Liverpool um, scraped back into the Champions League contention in the last few games. Sorry, Jamie. Sorry, Jamie. Yeah, <laughs> Ed, has the has the gloss worn off Klopp? Is he being found out? No, absolutely not. So I think with Klopp, very much. I mean, to, to win the Champions League with the net spend that they did. Which I think the net spend was about seventy million pound, um, yeah. which is phenomenal. Um, but I think. Again, this this season, I think we're going to look back on this season and just go, wow, so much weird stuff happened. Um, and with Klopp, it was very much, can we play this one type of football? Uh, and then, you know, when you're playing literally every three days for an entire season, it, that, that style of football just becomes a bit, um, yeah, a bit hard to manage. Um, but then, again, like they started the season amazingly and they finished it really strong as well. So there was just that middle part of the season, season when they had... Basically, no defence, <laughs> and they, you know, there was how many youth players can we call, recall for the first team? Yeah, and you know, and I mean, yeah, the, the number of injuries they had, I think it would have been really difficult to to, to, to play any other way, and yeah. especially in the season we had, where there's just no training sessions, there's no time when you're in all those competitions to train. How do you then get the players to play a radically different style of football? It's just impossible. So they just said that they went, let's just keep going this one. We'll get into the Champions League hopefully, and then. We can start a fresh next season with a couple fresh players, with Virgil Van Dijk back, with Canate yeah. signed from Leipzig, and a bit more time to train. 
and yeah. rest. L- losing your entire defence didn't help, and then having to move your two most effective defensive midfielders in, in to shore up the centre-backs centre uh, positions, yeah, not really a winning formula, because then you're, you're lacking in the midfield. Yeah, I think hindsight is a magical thing, <laughs> um, but with... But with hindsight, um, it, it, it would probably have been wiser instead of moving your midfielders to defence just to play your midfielders in midfield and bring some, some more players into defence because, as, as it turns out, um, Williams and, and Lips, I believe, were, um, yeah. whatever is the other one's name, um, were quite good at, at defence, or they were good enough. And then I think a lot of the problems they had um, in that middle part of the season could have been avoided if you just had defensive midfielders playing in defensive midfield. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, what, uh, Derek? What's your thoughts on um, that superstar of English football, Jack Grealish, becoming the first hundred million pound player? I mean, there's rumours he's off to Man City. Uh, yeah, I like. I'd be absolutely staggered. Well, if, Villa need the money if that if that price tag was 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 actually hit because a City don't pay that much money for players. They, I mean, they pay, don't worry, they pay a lot, a lot of money for players, but they don't go over the top for any one player. They just pay above average for everyone. Um, and so, I mean, even you can look at it, City's biggest purchase was 53 million, which, okay, it's a lot of money, but it's not 100. No, it's not. And, and so I don't, but also in the COVID market, I just, you know, these sort of price tags get put on players when... A, they are so desperately wanted, and B, there's a bit of competition for the player's signature. And, I mean, who who's competing for Jack Grealish? You know, no one's got enough money, yeah. realistically, to do it. Yeah. So it's, it's an I don't want to sell him price. That's what it is. I mean, <laughs> West Ham have done the same with Declan Rice. You know, there's an I don't want to sell him price, and people aren't going to match it. So I think, you know, they, they very much want to keep those players and build teams around them. So, yeah, um, and if, if 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 Villa do put it out of a selling price on it, then he's not going to be sold, <laughs> not in this market, because there are yeah. other options elsewhere. You know, I'm sure Leicester would would let go of Madison for less than 100, or you know, if it's in those sort of 50, 60 million range. Which you know, if that's the case, then no one's going to go for Jack Grealish if they can get Madison for you know two thirds the price or you know yeah. half. Yep. Yeah, absolutely, and the, and the manager might just sell him because he's going to go to Everton anyway. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, new clubs coming up. Obviously, um, you've got the two yo-yo clubs in Norwich and Watford, but the the real <sighs> the real romantic story it's is not. Brentford coming up to replace West Brom. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, look, Brentford. I'm, I'm I'm actually glad. I mean, I, again, I, I get a little bit. Skeptical about owners, um, and this and Brentford are owned by a bookie. Um, yeah, but yeah. Um, but they were so you know I'm a bit grim on that one. But I, I, um, I was pretty happy with with them coming out nonetheless because um, if you look away from that, what Brentford show is that if you run a football club really really competently, then you'll succeed, and that's what they've just done. They've you know like for example, quite a few years ago, they just got rid of their entire youth academy and, right. because, because they said this is how much money we spend on it. There's no possible way with all of the competition we've got in London, from big London clubs, we're going to get a kid to stay for long enough to either make money on them or to make a first team play out of them. So they just got rid of the youth academy and they went, right, we're going to run a second team. Let's find players that are undervalued from other clubs in the 23s and just do it that way. And then, you know, they've become really good at recruiting, just recruiting good young players, selling them on, getting other players cheaper. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I'm, well, yeah. 
Um, <laughs> you sound yeah. unsure. You. Yeah, no. He, he's still getting over West Brom being relegated. No, I'm, I'm not, you know, I understand exactly how that works and being a, a football manager uh, aficionado from way back, that, that's a great way to work it on the on the computer. I, I just don't see that having viability in the Premier League. Uh, you know, if you don't have... I, I was under the impression that the Premier League requirements need you to have a, um, a youth academy. Is, is that not the case with Brentford? Uh, I, I don't know the oh. specifics of that. I mean, they, they, you need to have a certain number of homegrown players to, to, to squad registration. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know about the specific infrastructure requirements. I, I don't believe um, you need to have an academy, but you well, do have to have homegrown players. So when, when yeah. the Albion went up, we had to upgrade the Youth Academy to a Category A because we were in the Premier League. I, I don't understand how Brentford can just be exempt from that sort of um, that thought process. I mean, I'm, I'm sure they've, they, um, they would be putting one in if they needed to, um, or they would have they would have they would have done it by now. I'm sure if they needed to because of the likelihood of getting promoted. So I'd look at that and maybe. I mean, again, I'm not 100 percent sure, but maybe there is a requirement if you have an academy, it needs to be this rather than just you need to have this uh, kind okay. of academy. Yep. Right. But I agree with you about um, the. That's why I'm sort of so interested about seeing how this next season is going to go for Brentford, because again, just like you know. Will Ivan Tony be another Alexander Mitrovic where he's too good for the championship, not quite good enough for the Premier League? Or will he be another player who can actually play in the Premier League? You know, will their buy low, sell high strategy work like it has been for Leicester? Or, you know, will they get relegated again? Yeah, no. And I, again, no. Sorry, I've yeah, seen, seen Tony play for, for a few divisions there. When, when he was at, uh, at Peterborough, I always thought he was uh, playing in the division too low. I, I wanted West Brom to buy him rather than getting Carlin Grant. We could have got him for half the price and double the goals. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, but I, I think also what's going to be interesting this season is just seeing has the gap between Championship and Premier League grown insurmountable because last season, um, the last season when Norwich got promoted, they got 95 points in the Championship and then they finish bottom of the Premier League. Yep. This season they got 96 points. So again, if they finish bottom, well, if they finish bottom three, that'll be, um, yeah, a bit of a sign that maybe you have to play a certain way to get promoted and stay up. Um, but then again, Leeds have done it. Um, so, you know, it'll be, oh, it's quite fascinating to see, yeah, where that gap is at the moment. Yeah, I was on the... Um the impression that, that Norwich were playing almost a, a money ball type of uh, scenario where they they went up knowing they were going to get relegated, bank that money, go up again, and now you've got double the war chest to buy the players and pay the wages. Yeah, well, that, that's very much the strategy Burnley took where they just yeah. sort of went, right, we're going to go up, we're just not going to spend anything. We're going to invest all of that money in, in sort of training facilities and youth academies, etc. And then they got relegated, as, as you did expect. And then again, yeah, they got promoted again. We're able to spend some money this time and we're able to make that a little bit more sustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, so you'll, maybe that's what's going to happen. Um, I would almost, if I was social, just do the same thing again. Like, <laughs> the, the, the most minimal we can because we know we're probably going to go off again. So <laughs> let's, you know, let's just give it a go. Um, and they've got, you know, they've got a, long, a lot of young players. And I think what Norwich have, have done really well is managed to keep a hold of a lot of the players that were, were looking like getting poached last time. You know, they've still got Max Aaron's. They've still got Buendia. They've still got um, Todd Cantwell. You know, all those young sort of players like that who, who look like they could do a job in the Premier League. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one last thing before we go is the um, Young Player of the Year and the Senior Player of the Year for the Champions League. And I see Phil Foden's in both. Yeah, they need to have a better job of this Young Player of the Year category. 
because, I mean, Raheem Sterling won it a couple of years ago, and you're like, Raheem Sterling's been around forever. How is he still a young player? Uh, and I think they, they cap it off at 23. Yeah. I think there should be, like, if you're if it's your first, you know, full season at senior level, that kind of the the limit on it. Um, yeah. But, yeah, but look, Phil Foden is phenomenal. I mean, he, you know, and I think a couple of years ago when he wasn't going on loan and Pep was talking about, no, we need him here, he's really good, he's going to be in the team, and everyone was like, oh, that's just nonsense and it's another player whose potential has gone to waste and I think Pep's really been vindicated now that he has kept him and not let him go out and loan and he has kind of stepped into that David Silver role and has done phenomenally and has shown his progression so I think that's definitely a vindication for Pep there. Yeah, definitely. But there's some, some good uh, candidates up against him for the young player. You've got uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold, um, Bukayo Sacco, Mason Greenwood, Declan Rice and Mason Mount. I mean, all of these guys are playing in the senior England squad. Um, it's, it's a, that's a fair competition and bodes well for England, really. Yeah, exactly. I mean, as much as it pains me to say, bodes well for England. Um, I think that, um, you know, England have almost got the, the, the opposite problem they had a few years ago, where a couple of years ago there was this, you know, massive media talk about, like, what can England do when they've got no creative midfielders? And now it's like, which creative midfielders do you leave out? Because we've got too many. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. And um, with Euros, you, who are you tipping for the Euros? Scotland, of course. Well, if, if they we, had we can win huge... every game, I'll be, I'll be happy. I don't care if, if we win no game as long as we're beating England. That would make me happy. Uh, <laughs> but no, probably France. I think, you, you know, if you've got the World Cup winning squad and, and you add Karen Benzema to it, it's really hard to go past that. Yeah. But um, they had a great result the other night in, in uh, a draw with Holland. Yeah, yeah, no, there's there's some good goals. I haven't managed to see the highlights of that. I was away in the wheat belt on school camp this week, so I've missed most of the friendlies, but I've managed okay. to cap, catch up on the scores. Um, but yeah, no, look, so it was um, just scoring two goals against Holland. <laughs> Scotland is phenomenal. I mean, there's that old joke when, you know, it's how do you know you're Scottish, you go 2-0 two two up against the French, and you immediately think, well, 3-2 loss is not a bad result. <laughs> <laughs> so to score, to score two against the Dutch is pretty good, because, you know, Holland um, are definitely in that sort of second tier where it's not the immediately obvious they can win the Euros, but, you know, you'd expect them to be in the latter stages. Yeah, absolutely. And, Much like Italy. And yep. Raheem Sterling, you mentioned him earlier. I just thought he was interesting. He left Liverpool so he could win the Champions League. How's that going for him, by the way? Uh, in his defence, you know, when he left <laughs> Liverpool, there's no way you would have looked at the next five years and gone, oh, yeah, these guys are more likely to win the Champions League. I know. But, but, <laughs> and I, so it was. <laughs> Yeah, I just find it amusing, that's all. <laughs> oh, of course. All righty. Uh, look, Derek, great to have you on. We'll we'll keep touch and, until Scotland are out of the um, the Euros. And then we'll, <laughs> then yeah, we'll, 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 we'll be on in a few more days then. <laughs> <laughs> then. Then we'll get some sense out of you. <laughs> thanks, yeah, thanks, thanks, guys. Thanks for being on, mate. Good see on. Thanks, Derek. Cheers, see ya. So that's uh, Derek Pollock, yeah, tragic Scottish supporter, but there you go, you get them. As long as they beat England, they're happy. Well, that's it. Yeah, yeah. that's the only thing that matters. Uh, tear down the goals at uh, Wembley again. And and p- tear up the turf, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah no, it's, it's a good day out for them, really, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, right, no, look, it's interesting. I think there's lots of things going on in the Champions League. The the manager's merry-go-round is one. Um, who's going to take hold of Tottenham? And then who, who wants Tottenham if it's Tottenham minus Kane? So. Yeah, and, and that's... 
you know, we could have spoken to Derek for, for the whole show. I mean, you know, Kane to go somewhere, Tammy Abraham. Kane to go to Man City. Uh, surplus to Chelsea's requirements. I know, but... Superstar Jack Grealish. And now I'm, that, that's me City. smiling yeah, saying superstar Jack more. Grealish, you know. Yeah. How many times has he played for England now? Is that, what, never? A hundred million for a... I haven't played for England yet. No. Come on now. What's going... It's crazy talk. Oh, absolutely it is, but... It, <laughs> You know, they, they've got to prize a, um, a quality midfielder out of somewhere and, you know. Well, is that, is, do you think that's all part of the, the, this Brexit um, with the EPL, that there's a point system and it's got to be, uh, you know, a, a, a homegrown player, for want of a better phrase, yeah. rather than, than a foreign? Possibly. Uh, I just, I've, yeah, like I said, but I've, also, I've, I've never I think, seen you know, play a decent When you look game. at Aston Villa, West Ham and, and other teams, like West Ham have... Uh, under attack for Rice to go to Man City or yep. to uh, Man United. Yep. And they've they put a we don't want a selling price on him. But, you know, they they've they're ambitious themselves and I, I think sometimes the and we've seen the arrogance of these these clubs with the um <laughs> the greedy the, six. The greedy six. Uh, who who believe that it's their their God given birthright just yeah. to go, we'll take your star player, your captain or whatever, yeah. the, the player you've developed and just rip him out and, and put him in us so he can win stuff. And yeah. it's not about that. Well, that's, that's the, yeah, the fun part of the joke you made. Yeah, I'm leaving a club to win the Champions League. Oh, crap, the club I left just won it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that wasn't, that wasn't a joke. That was the actual truth. Yeah, I know, but, I know. And, mm. and we, we see that um, often, you know, yeah. in, um, particularly in the, the other major code in this country. But I like to see a bit of player loyalty and I like to see yeah. players that, you know, will stay with the club. And, yeah, look, fair enough, if they get relegated or things aren't going too well, he's, yep. at least he stayed a couple of years whilst he was good and then gone, you know, I've got to go. If Declan Rice leaves West Ham next year or the year after, you go, yeah, look, he's given a run. Yeah, but, yeah. Well, yeah. again, so, so some player loyalty. If I <laughs> put the West Brom hat on again, uh, you know, Charlie Austin. I mm. mean, he... Uh, Who's well yeah, known for his loyalty. Yeah, well... It's, it's Liverpool, not... Southampton... QPR. I QPR, mean, yeah. You know, no, I mean, we loaned him back out to QPR and... Yeah. Uh, once we got relegated and the, the salary he was on, we, we released him and um, QPR were quite happy to have him come back on. So, yeah. you know, he's played for QPR before. So th there's a bit of, you know. And that's quite enough about West Brom now. We're going to go to a break oh. and we're going to come <laughs> back with Luke Pavlos. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Rose, a junior trainee at Oswest Fencing and Raw Iron. I am the fourth generation of our family business. Oswest Fencing is built on 50 years of experience, creating unique fencing and gates and servicing the West Australian community. Let us help you secure and refurbish your home or business with customised materials and automation made to laugh. Ring us on 9258 6822 to discuss your ideas or visit our online galleries at auswestfencing.com.au. That's A-U-S-W-E-S-T fencing.com.au. Station sponsor.
Radio Fremantle, 107.9 FM. Good morning. Welcome back to the World Football Programme with Sean Kelly and Hugh Best. We're going to go into the A-League fixtures, which is the last round before they get into the finals. So obviously, as we discussed earlier, that Perth Glory, unfortunately, are no longer in the running for the top six. But um, the game last night, Wellington Phoenix, again, proving some absolute cracking form. 3-0 over MacArthur FC. Today, we've got the fixtures of Brisbane Roar against Sydney. We've got uh, Gold Coast Mariners versus Western United after that. The Glory will be playing uh, the later game, a 5.10pm kickoff our time. That'll be against the Jets. And then we have tomorrow the victory against the City. So that could be an absolute cricket score for the victory, who certainly, not the victory, for the for City, who want the victory to, um, to finish as low down on the table as possible. And that would probably be bottom of the table, which is nice to have a team as uh, esteemed and historic as the victory to take another trophy. Yeah, I've seen some commentary where people actually want the glory to lose the game tonight so the Jets can go above victory. Yeah. Sure it, yeah. <laughs> well, I, don't think, I don't think Garcia will do that. No, no, Garcia won't be throwing any games. We know that, uh, you know, but uh, there's, the, there's a scenario that could happen there. So uh, last uh, division that we haven't mentioned today, which is the Men's State League Division 2, round nine. We've got all these games kicking off today at 3pm. We've got Curtin University versus Mum FC at Edinburgh Oval. We've got Caramar versus Gosnell Cities at Grandis Park. Kelmscott versus Wanneroo at Fry Park. Joondalup City versus Dianella White Eagles. That's all the way up at Iluka. We've got Canning City versus Balga at Burrinda Reserve. And the last fixture today would be Kingsley Westside versus Morley Windmills. That's at Chichester Reserve. Uh, sorry, Chichester Park, not Reserve, Chichester Park, and that is a 5 p.m. kickoff. So with a, with a day like today, get yourself down there to any of those games. Um, as I said, we've got uh, the women's table. We've discussed that. Uh, women's top scorers, we've got Kat Yuki still on nine, so she's leading the way there from Mum FC with uh, Thalia Organ uh, on six behind us. So that's a terrific strike force there for, for Mum and the women's. And we've got Josh Anasomo, who is currently the top scorer after 10 rounds in the men's NPL with eight. So uh, he's now with the glory. So, well, exactly. So good goal scorers there. Exactly. All right. right. Joining us now is Luke Pavlos from Macedonia. Um, I like saying that. It brings, yes. brings history back. Um, good morning, Luke. How are you? Yeah, good. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, you're welcome. Um, how'd the, the boys go in the little cup game this morning? Um, one of them got cancelled. Um, I haven't had all the results come through, to be honest, so yeah. I'm just waiting for that to, to come through, and I can report on that a bit later. All right, no worries. Um, the the change in the club this year to reverting back to the, the Macedonian uh, name um, seems to have made a, a massive difference both on and off the park. Yeah, yeah. Um, obviously going back to the heritage of the club um, earlier on in the year we did the Respect Your Elders um, uh, game at the, at the start of the year during the night series that was sort of uh, the first step towards going back to our, uh, our original name and uh, yeah it has uh, the supporters you know they're loving it um, 
people got new merchandise and all those sorts of things and it brings back a lot of memories. And then we've also got, um, you know, the, the, the team, the, the, the kids have really embraced it and they're doing really well on the park. Yeah, I was I was there last year when when we had a, a fixture against um, Sterling, and you know, you there is a tangible difference. You can't put a finger on it, but there's just a different vibe around the whole club, and it's whether it's the appointment of Ian Ferguson as a coach, or whether it's just how the team are going. But it, this was fairly early on in the season this year. There just seemed to be a very different vibe around the place. Yeah, I guess um, when you're winning, you know that that um, that obviously brings a, bit, a lot of positivity to the club but you know the the change of personnel at the top yeah definitely has brought um brought a, a change overall with the club as well there's just that next level of professionalism and it's nothing against the, the guys that were there they did a great job for us um but yeah it's you know Ian's an amazing coach he's done amazing things for the boys and mm. you know there's um really good cohesion with them and it shows on and off the park at the moment yeah, definitely. Um, you, you've always been strong within the community. Has the has the the change in in the name and and the, um, basically going back to the older values strengthened that community engagement? Yeah, it has. It, it, it sort of you know there's there used to be a couple of Macedonian clubs you know back in the day. Yep. Um, you had Vada, you know the Olympic club that was you know, Greek Macedonian, um, and you know then there was us itself. So. Uh, Bud is not around anymore. Um, most of those guys, they'll come and support our club, you know, knowing full well that um, we're strong in that tradition. Um, so we're getting really good support. I think last week for the Knights game, we had over a 1,000 for that. The, um, the Olympic game, we had about a 1,000, but that was the week after COVID. Um, the year before, we probably had about 1,500 for that game. So we're drawing good crowds and, you know, obviously winning games helps a lot in that regard as well. Um, but everyone's embracing, you know, the, the new team name and, and there's just a really good vibe around the club. So, um, yeah, it, it's very positive. And, you know, talking about rebadging things and everything, old is new again. Um, one of your favourite sons in Gavin Knight is is back yeah. and, and doing Gav things. Um, doing Gav things. <laughs> well, no, look, the, the man's just phenomenal. Um, but last week... Um, you know, you, you were you were down two one, and um, Gav's come on, and things have just turned round, and it's 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 going semi viral around Perth. <laughs> yeah, I, I call him Superman. Yeah, um, the guy just doesn't age. Um, I remember last year on his fortieth birthday, he scored six goals in in the week. He scored three in a midweek game against Fremantle, and then three against Swan. So, um, you know, he's having a really good run. Um, you know, but it just shows the professionalism of that guy. You know, he, he, he looks after his body. Um, he's, he's always a training on time and, and does the extra bits and pieces just to ensure that, you know, he, he can last through those games. And you know, the boys really embrace him as well, just having that, um, that um, experience on the ground as well. Very level-headed guy. So he's, he's been great. Oh, no, look, it's brilliant. You've got someone that's got the experience that he, he has who then, um, you know, he doesn't lord it over everybody. He's, he's a very humble man, um, unless he's just banged in the winner, of course, in which case everything changes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the crowd just erupted with that one. Like, it was, we were sort of, uh, we are leading the game, most of the game, and then they, they snuck one through, I think, about the 70 or so minute. Yeah. And then there was a mistake with the, the keeper and the defender, and, and they... Um, you know, with about 15 minutes to go, they were ahead and they were sort of dominating the game at that point in time. And 
into Gavin Knight and, and um, a few other changes, just you know, fixing up the shape. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll back in it. So it was, it was fantastic, you know, fantastic performance by the boys. But, um, yeah, uh, individual performance in the end, obviously, by Gavin in scoring those two goals. And the boys are off to Forest Field, which is um, coached by someone who's a couple of years older than than Gavin in Normo. Um, so, uh, and, and I'm not telling him that. And they they're desperate for a win. Yeah, yeah. Um, the boys are aware that you know they're, they're going to be up for a big game today. You know, uh, Normo's a quality coach. You know, just shows with all the silverware he's won over the years, and and um, yeah, obviously you know he'll be up for that game and have the kids. It's raring to go, so we know that um, you know we're we're the ones getting chased at the moment. Um, so we just got to do it our business as usual and and push through it. They've got a uh, a breast cancer awareness day today there as well. Yeah. So we're trying to get as many people down there as possible from our club to support that day. Also raise some money for them. Yeah, no, brilliant, great initiative there at, uh, at Forest Field. Um, a couple of other big games around the, the league for you. Fremantle against Quinns um, should help you out in some way or another with one or, one or either of those clubs. And then you've got Western Knights who are playing the Ashfield who are, seem to be very dangerous. I think they tripped you up earlier on in the season um, with, a, with their own last-minute equaliser. Yeah, yeah, that, that game we had about five players out. Ah, oh, so did they. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> as, as, as we say. But, yeah. um, no, they're, they're good. Like, you you yeah. can't take anything for granted each week. You know, everyone's got injuries and suspensions each week. And, um, you know, they, they, they played a good brand of football. With regards to the Fremantle game um, with Queens, you know, that would be a fantastic game to watch. You know, both those teams need the points, all three. Yeah. Um, so... You know, and, and both have got the, um, the scoring power up front as well. So, you know, you, you might have a high-scoring one with that one. Yeah, absolutely. No, look, it was a good game between Ashfield and and, um, and Massey's that day. It was uh, quite interesting because, again, Gav scored, as he does. Um, and we, yeah. had pl- we had players out there. I think Gav's got underpants older than some of our boys, but, you know... <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, it's a good, a good, even competition. But what I did like was the vibe around the club. There was a really strong vibe. There was lots of um, the older Macedonian players there. I think it was a week or two after you'd had your respect your elders um, campaign. Yeah. Just like the the way you, you you're, you're building that community vibe again and getting you know Sterling back to what it was. And and everyone, you know, we all know Sterling Macedonia, but we we've always collectively just said Massies. Yeah. And I think that's that's one of the good things about reverting back to your name. Um, it, it seems to have had that effect around the club. Yeah, it, it definitely has, and, and, and you're right in saying building that community vibe. You know, that's what we've been very focused on doing, and it's not just with um, the, uh, the, the the seniors; it's through the juniors and then the local community as well. We've got people that you know come from the surrounding areas and support us every week, and we've got people that come all the way from Rockingham and support us as well. So it's fantastic when you sort of walk around and meet some of these people and understand you know, where they're coming from and why they support you and you know, just enjoy the atmosphere. So we're trying to create a really good um, community presence down there and we're slowly getting getting it up there and, um, and we're hoping to, to make it a lot bigger moving forward as well. With that in mind, Luke, um, how's the partnership going with uh, the Northern Redbacks? I know they played their, their night games down at, uh, at Massey's Park and has that expanded your community footprint in any way? 
Yeah, I, I guess we've, we've got our women's team as well, yeah. and we're conscious in bringing them in that mm-hmm. you know there wasn't going to be any clash um, with with our team, and so we consulted with them, and they said, "Listen, it's all fine." Um, so yeah, they, they bring uh, probably I don't know 100, 150 people down for a game on a Friday night. It allows our kids to stay back after training and, and watch the games as well. So um, you know you get a few more supporters that way, and yeah, it, it, it just it, it, it's like whether it be a football game or a shopping centre or whatever, you want as much stay time as possible um, within a club because that creates a community presence and also creates a spend over the bar, canteen and those sorts of things. So, you know, when you've got um, all three sort of things working, um, you know, you, you have a really good um, really good vibe around the club and you know, people are enjoying it. The Redbacks have been great. We're, we're quite happy having it been. Brilliant. Yeah, and, and the colours match, so it helps as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I suppose the, the other thing is, is how important is it as a club to, to get yourselves back in the NPL? The NPL seems a little poorer space without you, so it'd be great to see you back up there. Yeah, I, I think at our end, you know, obviously dropping out of the NPL was, was very disappointing, but there's, you know, looking back at it, there are a few things that need to be changed internally and, um, you know, just to, to get us back on track. We're sort of chasing each year rather than, you know, being ahead of the game. Yeah. So we've been able to reset everything and, and, and we're pretty healthy at the moment. Um, and getting back into the MPL, 100%, you know, it's number one priority. Um, you know, we've got a facility that's probably second to none in the league and, you know, it, it deserves to be up there um, as well as the club in terms of its history and such. You know, we, some of these games that we play away, um, you know, we, we just tear our hair out at pitch quality and change rooms and these sorts of things and wonder, you know... <laughs> How, how, how some of these teams are able to compete in the league, but it's unfortunate that we're in that league. That's yeah. what it is. So, you should, yeah, you should yeah. be a referee going to some of those change rooms. You think yours are bad? You should see the referees' change rooms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I forgot the game's all about the referees. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. No, no, I know what you mean though. I mean, uh, look, Sterling have over, over the years invested an awful lot of money on that site. I mean, you own the ground, so you you've got. Um, none of the council issues that other teams have, but you know, you, it, when you go to a dog walking park yep. and the uh, you know the the change room is actually a public toilet, and you know it it is a very different vibe. And I and I, I know what you mean because at, at the back in a tin shed. Yeah, well, probably thirty years ago now, when I was I was playing in the state league myself, um, one of the clubs I was at folded because the the pitch requirements for the following year were beyond us. And we couldn't have a player's race that went out to the pitch, which we couldn't put a rope around. Mm. Um, and we we stopped it. But now you've got teams that are competing in this league, which are, are worse off than that. Um, and just the, there seems to have been a, uh, a diminishing of the standards of facilities to meet the, the teams that want to come up. And I think it's a balanced approach. You know, if you're going to pay five or ten bucks to go and watch a game I'd, I'd much rather go and sit and watch at Sterling in a stand undercover yep. Yep. with decent you know tannoy system and everything else running than to go and bring my own chair to the side of a park <laughs> in the in the <laughs> blistering sun or the pouring rain um and you know and, and pay for the privilege yeah yeah no, no clubs mentioned yeah. there and if it's you that you think we're talking about it's not <laughs> no no if it's you i'm talking about it is raise your standards i don't have a problem with saying that if you, you think it's you it is you and, and lift your game always fired up no no look, i mean obviously you have a 
and, and still continue to invest a lot of money on the facility, um, which is about the the quality of the game and the respect that you have for your members and your spectators and the spectators from the opposition. And I think you know, the more clubs that do that, the better. Yeah, no, you're right. As you said, the unfortunate thing is a lot of them are controlled by the council, mm. unless the council's investing in them themselves. Forget the fact that you know people can walk the dogs on the pitch or not, but yeah. you know some of the facilities as an entirety uh, just aren't you know up, up to standard, and the councils need to take more attention to you know the community um, interaction yeah. that these clubs have, and you know spend some money, you know create more stands. Like we're going to Forestfield today. Their stands are amazing. I was just about yeah, to say yeah, that. Yeah. They're, they're a council ground and, and they've engaged yeah. with their council and they've got a fantastic facility. Kingsway Olympic have done massive yep. work on theirs. Yep. Grellup have done a lot on theirs. You know, there are teams out there and clubs out there that are investing, but I think investing in in the players is one part of the game, but investing in the spectators and, yep. and the spectator comfort. We're in the entertainment business. You know, if you if you had to go to to watch um, a theatre and sit out in the open in the rain, uh, you go, I'm not going. Yeah, well, that was the thing for last week. You know, the the rain was terrible. Um, you know, it was probably about uh, probably about halfway through the reserves game, and it was pretty quiet around the ground. And I yeah. said to my football ops guy, I said, oh, it's a bit quiet here at the moment. So it's the top of the table. This place should be full. I said, you know, take a picture of the grandstand, and we've got. Uh, I said, you know, put it on the on the Facebook and say we're full undercover, licensed for yep. uh, two thousand people. Right. Yep. You know, you're licensed there, you're undercover. Come down and avoid the rain. Um, and even during the game, you know, the the uh, it got a bit dark there towards the end. You know, we're, we're fortunate enough that we control our own lights. We turn them on mm-hmm. at yep. the end of the game, and you know that might have made a difference at our end itself, yeah. you know. Exactly. Um, I left ours off because Will went up against Fremantle and I thought, no, <laughs> if, he, if, he call, if he calls it early, that's great. Who's <laughs> got the key? I don't know. Yeah. 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 No, look, I think, you, Luke, you're doing wonderful yeah, things out there, engaging with the community. I think the there's something in it for everybody with, you know, not being afraid to, to re-engage with your roots. We were talking earlier about reconciliation. I think part of um, Massey's reconciliation yeah. is, you know, this is your identity. It's not, you're not purely Macedonian. You don't exclude anybody. Um, but at the same time, be proud of who you are and your history. And I think that's made a big, big difference to you this year, um, both on and off the field. Just my observation. Yep. The new badge looks yeah. looks terrific. Yeah, uh, I did like the uh, the old one with the with the big lion on it. But I see you've incorporated that into the new badge also, which is fantastic. Yeah, the, the new badge is purely for seniors. The juniors are still running with the lion. Yep, as we said, you know, it, as much as it's a, a traditional Macedonian club, um, that's that's the sort of progression from the juniors to the lo- uh, uh, to, to the seniors. Mm-hmm. So yeah. the juniors still trade under Sterling Lions. Which is, you know, it's um, non-discriminatory and, and it's, uh, it's available for the whole community. Yep. But the, um, the, the the seniors is is, is Macedonia, and, and that's what they strive to get that next badge. And and that's just respecting your history. And I think there's there's nothing yeah. wrong with that. And be proud of your, your origin yep. and your roots. You're doing a wonderful job out there, Luke. Best Good of luck you, this Luke. afternoon. Thanks very much. Thanks, Thanks for being on. Show. See you, mate. Good okay. You. Cheers. See you. Bye. All right, Huey. That's. Just about us now. It's just about us. One yeah. last thing. You know there's uh, very few programs go by without me mentioning the uh, the Little Men. So, yeah. Subudio Perth and the table, the Sports Table Football Club of Western Australia are hosting a WA Day Bonanza. We will be hosting the world president, Mr Steve Detry, at uh, 22 Titchbourne Street. 
in Coburn Central. That kicks off at 9 o'clock. Everybody's welcome. All equipment supplied. It's free entry. Come on down. You'll see some world-class and, you know, a World Cup representative in yeah. yours truly playing. Uh, if you want to be anywhere educated and interested and indoctrinated into the fabulous world of Subudio. And in between then and now, get yourself down to the get, Claremont Showgrounds, yep. see the three-in-one uh, market and uh, go and visit the, the Football WA Hall of Fame stall. Thank you for listening. Lenny's on next with the Jazz Show. This has been the World Football Programme. Take care all. Bye. Join us again next week at the same time for the World Football Programme on Radio Fremantle 107.9 FM.